But you know who doesn't deserve a compliment? It's the Chicago Bulls because <laughs> the, the three teams that we want to talk about this week are the Bulls, 76ers, and Wizards. Chicago Bulls being one of them. Um, you know what? I take that back. Maybe they do deserve a compliment. They're just a weird team. They literally go back and forth beating good teams and losing to bad teams and like everything in between. Like we were just talking about the 76ers a little bit. They have 10 losses. Two of them are to the Chicago Bulls, even though I think Embiid didn't play in the most recent game, to be fair, to be fair. Uh, But they've been better recently. They are starting to look like the defensive team that they were last year. Uh, They were fifth in the NBA in defensive rating last year, or 15th overall in the season right now. But in their last six games, they're second in defensive rating. They're not a pushover on that end. And I know that you particularly are going to probably want to talk about Kobe White, who's awesome offensively earlier in the season. I think he's kind of sputtered a little bit lately. Obviously, I want to talk about Alex Caruso, who I think is the best perimeter point of attack defender in the entire league and has been for like the last five years. But the first thing I want to ask you about is, which is it's sort of the low-hanging fruit elephant in the room. I think it's safe to say, and you can disagree. I'm, I'm curious if you disagree. The Bulls have a Zach Levine problem. Um, they went 5-13 and 13 with Zach Levine, are 10-6 and six without him. His impact and advanced metrics are all the way down from his career averages. His shooting is all the way down. Before he went out, he was turning it over more. Um, and he has three years remaining on his contract, making 43, 46, and $49 million over the next three years um, if he doesn't opt out of his player option. So what are your thoughts with the Zach Levine situation in Chicago, um, just generally? Can I first just say, I am not a huge fan of this Andre Drummond erasure. You didn't even Drummond, you're once. right. Drummond <laughs> has had a research. Uh, yeah, he has. And I know you're being a little facetious, but like Drummond has been really good. He has been. Really I'm being good. like 7% facetious because first of all, I've never told you this, but I have a standing bet that Andre Drummond won't make the hall of fame. So, <laughs> so while I, was bet feel, with you. while I was feeling pretty good, like before the season, this is, I don't like, like what if Andre Drummond just breaks the all time rebounding record? <laughs> Won't He's they just put him in the in. Hall of Fame? Because fucking like why going not? In. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think I gave I, I gave my friend ten to one, but it's like close to a free roll because that same friend bet me a bunch of money during the 2020 NBA Finals that Duncan Robinson wouldn't be on an NBA team in five seasons, and I was like, "What are you talking about? Is what? He <laughs> why? Because he was shooting so poorly." Honestly, Duncan Rob. Uh, yeah, we can't. I don't want to do on a tangent. Duncan Robinson has been like. What an incredible story in terms of his yep. skill set that he's brought to the table since the playoffs last year. Like, where did all that come from? He's never done any of this stuff in his entire life. The guy is running pick and rolls like freaking like like Ty- Tyrese Halliburton and like I, just unbelievable. Like, what is this? He randomly woke up and was like, what if I was awesome at shooting and could also just handle the ball and like pass out of the pick and roll and stuff pass out of the pick and roll attack the rim attack closeouts like his interior passing has been awesome what is this I, I, anyway i don't understand that at all it was during the lakers heat final the bubble finals and my friend was saying that the heat's path to victory was playing kendrick nunn over duncan robinson and I was like, no, actually, that's not true at all. What are you talking about? <laughs> and he went on this long tangent about how Duncan Robinson sucks and Kendrick Nunn is awesome. And, <laughs> you know, Kendrick Nunn's a true hooper and yada, yada. And we ended up betting, uh, you know, pretty, pretty solid amount of dough that Duncan Robinson would still be in the NBA in five seasons. And wow. here we are. And then later on, yeah, we were talking about the Knicks acquiring Andre Drummond. <laughs> And I was like, please, God, no. And he was like, what? That's a potential Hall of Famer. And I was like, dude, what are you? (laughs) Um, But despite all of those things, Andre Drummond has been awesome this year. His -hmm. defense has been what he was supposed to be out of college. Like, you know, people don't, people will never remember this because they're not as old and weird with memory stuff as I am. But like, there were legitimately Pistons fans who, after, three months of their rookie seasons were like, yeah, you guys got Anthony Davis. Number one, big deal. We've got Andre. Drummond. <laughs> and like, they, <laughs> they were like, yeah, this is fucking awesome. We've got, we got our guy. We're dug in. Um, and That's Drummond awesome. is an elite rebounder. He always has been on both sides of the ball. And 
but he always profiled as someone who should be a menace around the rim defensively. Like he should just impact and contest and do all these things. And he's getting another chance in the league right now. And he's running with it. He's been awesome. Um, and just to say really quick, as, EPM has always really liked Andre Drummond's defense. So uh, I, I haven't watched as closely. I don't know Andre Drummond's impact. I know that he just steals all rebounds. And if you're, you know, every <laughs> uncontested rebound, Andre Drummond's going to get it. Um, but I, yeah, defensively, EPM likes his defense, has always liked his defense. He's like Julius Randle and Josh Hart combined, you know, like m- yes. merged in the one, yeah, one yeah. rebound vacuum. Yeah, he's um, gonna get he's gonna get all of them, the easy ones and the hard ones. <laughs> yeah, that is up there with my biggest pet peeves in the league. Like when two teammates are fighting for a fucking rebound, it's like one of you. I don't care which one it is, but one of you has to know that the other person is your teammate. And just let him have it. I don't care if, who it if is. that. Whenever that happens with Julius, if the other person ends up getting it, he is so upset about it. Like <laughs> if is. you ever just watch, whenever it's like two people, I think it happened with it. Um, who did it happen with? It happened with Hardenstein or it happened with somebody in the most recent game. And I just watched Julius and he was like so upset about it. It's like, how dare you take this rebound from me? You think that's why quickly was traded? Like quickly wouldn't give him enough rebounds? Probably. That'd be enough <laughs> of a reason to move that. Game. No, no. Yeah. Julius, Julius actually put out like an Instagram video of supporting RJ and quickly in their first game with Toronto. I thought that was really cool. That was very um, cool. I agree. Yeah. Back to Zach Levine. Look, I know you hate, this argument and i'm going to present this argument so you can bury me and tell me why it's stupid but zach levine's teams have never won his minutes ever in his entire career until last season when they won by like point plus point zero one if you're a star that people think zach levine i'm sorry your team has to win your minutes at some point in your entire career i i look i know there's all of these different this different data I respect it. I know on-off isn't close to perfect. I appreciate that. But my baseline for you being a really good player is your team winning your minutes once in your entire career. That is it. That, that is the bare minimum. And for whatever reason, maybe Zach Levine is the unluckiest player in the history of basketball. Up until last season, his teams have never won his minutes once. Can, can I so, clarify real quick with you? So is it that they've never won his minutes? Or is it that they've always won his minutes and lost or won his off minutes, but lost his on minutes or it's just, they, yeah, no, cause he no, can, no, if you're not, just like on a shitty team, you, you right, clearly your team won't win your minutes, right? It's not a net swing. It's dude. I don't, if you put any good player on a shitty team at a certain point, they will randomly win your minutes and get killed in the off court minutes. That can't just happen Maybe. forever. I'm not, I'm not positive. I, yeah, you could be right. I'm not saying yes. I'm not saying no. I'm just saying, I don't know. Like maybe like I like did did this I, I'm actually asking now before the Suns got Chris Paul did they lose Devin Booker's minutes every single season he was on the team his on court minutes it. I highly doubt it I'm gonna I'm gonna look it. as I'm, I'm gonna look as I'm talking right now it's a great um, question though and it's a great person to bring up because that's exactly the type of scenario that we would imagine that could happen in yeah and remember Devin Booker was like Mr Empty Stats no impact on winning yada yada yeah 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 um. But anyways, and the, and those Suns teams were really bad. Like you, you at least agree that Levine has been on better teams than Booker was ever on in in Phoenix those years. Yeah, in 2019-2020, the Suns won Booker's minutes by plus two point seven per hundred, and just mm. got obliterated when he didn't play. Um, okay, fair enough, fair enough. But no, Proceed. I mean that, that 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 doesn't prove my opinion Devin Booker is really good at basketball not being Devin Booker doesn't mean anything yeah but, we agree Devin Booker is better than Zach Levine yeah yeah on that. <laughs> exactly um I just believe that Levine for whatever reason is missing something and like I watch all the film that everybody else does I've seen so much Zach Levine dude is so talented with the ball in his hands for me it has to come down to the shots he chooses to take because like he's a really good he, he, he can be, or excuse me, a really good shooter, right? Like he could shoot lots of threes. He could shoot, you know, more sh- shots off the catch. This season, he only 46% of his threes are assisted. That is in the second percentile. That means 54% of his three points, three pointers are entirely self-created. He's been in the bottom of that like forever. But if you just look across the board, 
none of his shots are assisted. They're all self-created. So like when Zach Levine is on the basketball court, if you're his teammate, you're watching him cook. And it's not like he's, you know, crushing it at creating for his teammates either. You know, his assist percentage this season is 15.7%. Great. It's never been above 22.5%. And that, granted, that was one of his early seasons in Chicago. God damn, dude. He's been on Chicago for six years. 22.5% is a good assist percentage. No, it is, it is really good. That was in the 84th percentile. That was a good season. My point is, is that we're seeing all these things come back and it's being reflected in the overall impact data. Like he's just not he, to do to profile like Zach Levine does in terms of the types of shots you're shooting, the how much you hold on to the ball, how little you create for others. You have to be really fucking good. You have to be really good at putting the ball in the basket. And he just isn't 57% true shooting is in the 41st percentile relative to the league. Some of that's a little unlucky for him. He's kind of stayed the same as the league has evolved. Um, his style would, and it did look a lot better, you know, a few years ago, it would look way better 10 years ago, but now that we're the, the NBA has become so hyper-efficient, his style just isn't good enough to be a passable offense anymore. And I think that the Bulls in this these 16 games since he's been out, 10 and 6, like you said, in their last 16 games, they've replaced all of these Levine possessions, some, some of them really good, some of them not so good. They've replaced them with more team-friendly team offense that creates a lot more threes. Um, and, I yeah, I think that's being reflected in the data. And I think it would be in their – I think it would benefit them if they traded Levine as soon as possible, even if the return doesn't seem overwhelmingly positive. Like if you're a Bulls fan and you're like, oh my God, Levine's a former all-star. We need to get an all-star package. I would just cut the cord now if I was the Bulls. And honestly, you know, the Lakers want a guy like that. I would look at the Lakers and I would be like, okay, give us that last first round pick unprotected at the end of the decade and matching salary and let's call it a day that would be to me that would be more than enough because getting off the levine contract like you said there's three more years and i actually think that lakers first round pick is being underrated at this point lebron's really old anthony davis is 31 that could be a really valuable pick down the line and in the meantime you get to fast forward your rebuild and know that patrick williams kobe white these are guys that are going to see the bulk of the minutes and and their roles are going to expand without Levine. Yeah, <clears throat> I think I, 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 I disagree with a, a lot of what you said. I, I agree with as far as like what the Bulls might try to look to get back for him. I, I think it's okay to just sell low on Levine right now. And if he bounces back and he kind of returns to some of his form from past years, you just eat that and you just say, well, we, we need it. The, the risk was too high to keep him and, and to hold on to him given his contract and all of that. So I agree on the return. I do think like one thing, I'm not sure about this, like a future, that future Lakers pick. I, I just imagine that teams are so motivated when they don't have their pick to not be bad, that they will do anything they can for that pick to never be like the first pick overall or something like that, or like a top three pick. I think they're just so they will do anything to not be bad and have like, okay, we had the worst season ever and we also got nothing out of it. <laughs> and another team benefited fully from our horrible season. Like I think they'll do anything they can to just be even mediocre um, because that's the way the incentives lie. But that's a, that's a tangential topic. I think the main thing I wanted to focus on was the fact that you were talking about how bad Levine's been and, and, and how, you know, his style doesn't really comport to the modern NBA. And I agree in some ways, but I think you're pointing out the way he's played this season. You mentioned his, his, his lack of efficiency and, you know, his assist percentage being down. It's just that this season he played 18 games and he was terrible in those 18 games. Like he was just bad. He shot 33, 33.6% from three, like, that's one of his career if not that's his career low like ever in his entire career like he was just was bad and i don't think even his style is relevant as a relevant factor and why he was like not playing well because it could be injury or health related uh it could just be like you know variance and, and poor shooting to coming out but 18 games is not a large enough sample for me to be like yeah, this guy, like the NBA has passed him by. He's like, he can't do it anymore or anything like that. Because it, for instance, we look at 2021, 2022, 2021, when he's 25 years old. I know you mentioned like he was better in past years for sure, but he shot 64% true shooting. 
42% from three playing this same kind of style that he plays. Like it's, it's not really the stylistic difference. That's the issue. It's that his ability to convert those shots that he's, ta- that he's taking, that he's always taken has gone down. Right. And that to me could be related to his health or could be related to just like variance. It could be related to some decline as well, which I think it is. Um, but I think it's probably a combination of all three of those things, as opposed to just the fact and, and the factors that you mentioned where like, you know, some of the way that NBA defenses can lock in on a guy who wants to create his own shot. I think all four of those factors kind of all come into play, but I don't think it's just one of them being the league has kind of passed Levine by in his style. And that's why he's had such bad out, output this year. I just think that it's more than shots not going in. There's so many things are different. Like, and some of it could be a decline in athleticism, which is allowing him to get to the rim less. But he's being assisted less than ever. And yeah, I mean, maybe this season's just bad. But if if this season is an outlier, I think you have to be reasonable and admit that 2021 is also an outlier relative to the rest of his career in terms of like how often he was making shots. Like that, the true shooting and three-point percentage, all these things are way higher than they ever were in any other year. I wouldn't say so way just, higher. I mean, the, the following year he shot 61. The following year he shot 61. Like, that's not – I mean, this is kind of the – this is the, the DiVincenzo bump that <laughs> that we're talking about here. Like, a 64 true shooting versus a 61 true shooting with that he did two consecutive years. Like, it seems – like it fits within it fits within the graph of his career and doesn't seem like yo what's that why is that why is that bullet point way out there as far as like a inconsistency with with what you would expect from a player like this like yeah 50 57 true shooting or 57.8 true shooting 57.3 true shooting 64 it's a big bump and then 61 61 like it's not crazy i don't think yeah not crazy i just think that 2022 and 2023 is a more reasonable tempered expectation for what the best of Zach Levine can be. I agree. Um, yeah, I agree with you. And I, I didn't mean to imply that like the league has passed Zach Levine by that's, that's not what I was getting at. I just think <laughs> oh, okay. that these, My bad. these, these last couple seasons, we've seen a hyper influx of offense, like literally the last two seasons. And so let's just take, you know, let's average out Levine's uh, 2020 through yeah, 2020 through 2023, that four-year sample, you average those out. And if you were to average those out and uh, place that impact, you know, in 2021, you have close to an all-star level player. No question. He was really good. Place that same player in this league with how the league's going right now. I don't know if he's an all-star anymore, even playing at that level. The league has just evolved and you have to be more, in my opinion. He is passing less. He's not creating for his teammates. So that's my point is that relative to the rest of the league, if you're going, this was acceptable four seasons ago, but the league is so efficient now and offense is so good that to keep up with everybody else, he needs to play at an even higher level. And I'm not sure that that's there for him at 29 because he doesn't have the athleticism that he used to. It's going to come down to him shooting even better to make that work. Um, And so when I said what I said, it's not so much, you know, oh my God, he's old. And, you know, it's, it's just more like, okay, I'm not even sure if the best of what we've seen from Zach Levine would be what his reputation says he is in today's league. I think that's, that's fair. That, that, that's a helpful clarification for me on, on what your position is on Zach Levine. So I, yeah, I don't, I don't have too much pushback to that. I, I do think the Bulls should get off the Zach Levine contract and just eat. Like, you know, we talked about some of the risks that the Knicks might be taking in terms of seeing what Emmanuel quickly becomes and being like, damn, we didn't capitalize on that. I don't think the Bulls are too worried about Levine going back into being an all-star form and saying like, dang, we sold that guy for a, a first round pick. Like, I think it's fine. I think they should probably just do that. Um, so Yeah, and I think, I think we'd, we'd, regret not spending you know a minute or two on the current balls and what they're doing because you know you talked we we talked earlier in this episode about fit and you know synergy with the knicks i kind of feel like the knicks with or the the bulls excuse me without levine are very synergetic and have, have have really really good synergy now you've got caruso patrick williams and drummond who have all defended you know really really well this season 
Um, Patrick Williams is the worst of the three, and he's in the 88th percentile in defensive EPM. Just he's been he's been awesome. He's only 22. He's been on that end exactly what they thought he could be. Um, and it's so interesting. I feel like when you talk about Patrick Williams, people people talk about him like he's a lot older than he is, but he's he's not. I mean, like I said, still only 22 years old. And this has cleared a lot of uh, the path for DeRozan and Kobe White to kind of carry the the load offensively. And I like talking about Kobe White a lot. I like talking about him. I liked talking about him last season because I thought he was one of those underrated uh, under the radar guys. Like quickly, I thought his defense was super underrated. And again, this is another lottery pick who just really like people had kind of given up on, you know, because what was his role in Chicago? What can he do? And he wasn't like gangbusters defensively last year, at least not by the the data. But when I watched him on film, I just saw a guy who could impact in a number of ways defensively. I really liked his screen navigation. I really liked the way he used his body at the point of attack. I thought he was pretty helpful off the ball for a guard, not super elite, but helpful. Um, and I thought if he could just find the shooting that made him a lottery pick out of North Carolina and he put it all together, that could be a really good player. Well, he's kind of gone the other way this season. His defense has regressed a lot, um, but his offense has been amazing. And this would hurt more if not for Patrick Williams and Caruso and Drummond sharing the court with him. But when you have those guys, DeRozan and him have a little bit more leeway to focus on offense and impact on that side of the ball. Um, so I just overall, I really like the synergy of this new five man lineup that they're playing a lot. Yeah, I think those are great points. And I was going to ask you actually, like where you think the bulls can end up if, you know, without Levine, let's say they flip Levine and get somebody obviously not as good, but somebody who kind of fits into what they want to do a little more. I'm trying to, I was trying to look at the Lakers roster and see like who might work. I was going to say like a Rui Hachimura type, but Maybe that doesn't work as well. It would be um, it would be like it would be like Russell and Rui, I think. Yeah, you think Russell, they would? Rui you think they would trade? Ru- I don't think they would. I don't even think they would do that. Russell and Rui and the first for Levine. I don't even think they would do that at this stage. You don't I think, think the Lakers would. would do that? I don't think the Lakers would do that. No. You aren't they like trying to get off of Russell? He's been not that good this year, right? Yeah, defensively he's been horrible. But yeah, you might be right. Maybe they would. Um, if they got Russell and Rui and swapped out Levine and that because the cool thing about the synergy that you mentioned is that they kind of have guys who like lead the offense white and DeRozan and then they have guys who lead the defense Caruso and Williams you know and then Drummond when he's in there so those guys all work really well together and you know bringing in somebody like D'Angelo that you know that could help you know them in offensive spots where they just struggle to score um so I don't know. I, I, I think that team, where do you think a team like that could end up? Let's say they, they, they flip Levine for, for two guys who or one or two guys who fit a little better, who aren't quite as good. Um, what do you, what do you think they could end up as? I feel like their ceiling is still, you know, the eight, nine, 10 range. Yeah. Um, and I don't even mean that in a dismissive way to the bulls. I more mean it because the East is just so deep. Like if you just look at the standings above them, Boston, Milwaukee, Philly, Miami, Cleveland, and the Knicks. Mm-hmm. Okay, maybe maybe the Cavs injuries. I mean, the Cavs just lost to Toronto, um, and quickly and quickly in RJ's debut. Toronto, who was coming off a loss to Detroit, and that was with <laughs> that was with Donovan Mitchell and Jared Allen. So like, maybe you think Cleveland can fall off. Maybe you think Chicago can catch Cleveland. I don't, but so that leaves Brooklyn, Indiana, and Orlando. I believe in Indiana. I don't, I don't know if Indiana is going to win 50 games, but I, I, I don't know how easy Indiana is going to be to catch for Chicago. Orlando has a pretty big head start, and while their defense has fallen off recently, it's still a good defense. And, yeah, they're half a game behind Brooklyn. I could see them catching Brooklyn, but it's – I mean, Brooklyn, who's apparently, like, mailing in games. Did you see the Jock Vaughn quote? <laughs> That's got to be good for locker room inspiration. No, Did you what see was that? I, I didn't see it. What oh, my that? God. They got like slaughtered in a game recently, and he was like, "Look, guys, I'm not a Hall of Fame coach, and we have no All Stars on this team." <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome! Like, what a funny, like, what the fuck, a, man! Like, I would just like print that out and hang that on the wall. Like, what is what is he doing? That's um, hilarious. Yeah, 
So, yeah, I mean, I do think – look, shit happens in an NBA season. Somebody could get hurt. More injuries could happen. Teams just fall off. But all of those teams that I mentioned are – it's hard to see too many of them just completely falling off a cliff. I think for the Bulls to really, really, you know, make some make some headway, they've got to go on a run. And while I do like the synergy and the fit of their roster – and, you know, like you said, if they brought in D'Lo and Rui as like bench guys to help with the offense, that helps with their depth. They could be, you know, they could be a tough team on any night, but it's just really hard to like win 60% of your games in today's league. That's that's the sign of a really good team. And I'm not sure I'm there with the Bulls yet. Yeah, I, I, I for the most part, agree with you. And one of those such teams that's ahead of them that will be <laughs> that is going to be up there for the rest of the season is the Philadelphia 76ers. And I Honestly, on the Sixers, they've surprised me. Like they uh, are on a 63 expected win pace based on their net rating, um, second in the league in point differential, uh, eighth still over the last six games, top six offense and defense. Embiid playing, you know, we talked about Embiid a little bit. Embiid playing the best basketball of his life, playing like the actual MVP this year. Maxi has been incredible. He's shown he's able to carry the offense when Embiid is out as well, which is amazing. Um, and when they're on together, forget about it. They've been unstoppable. I looked at their most used lineup. Maxi, Melton, Harris, Batum, and Embiid is plus 33.3 over 467 possessions. That it really is... makes sense. It really makes sense, too. Like Melton and Batum, forget about Batum's age. Just the way they meld into lineups with really good players. Yep. You know? Yep. Yeah. Th- th- those guys are perfect glue guys, whatever you want to call them, connect their pieces. Like they're, they're, they fit right in with those high usage superstar offensive players. So it's, it's, it's works extremely well. Um, I, I will say, okay, they haven't played the toughest schedule in the league. You know, uh, they, they, they do have wins over the Thunder and the Timberwolves, which are legit wins, but I do have a little bit of hesitation based on their schedule has been like how weak their schedule has been. And it actually doesn't even really get tough for them opponent wise until like the back half of the season. So they could still go on a little bit of a run here um, because they're winning games even when Embiid doesn't play as well. So I don't know. What are your overall thoughts on the, on the 76ers? I just like looking at the lineup data and seeing that their two most played lineups are Maxi Melton, Harrison Embiid, one with Kelly Oubre and one with Batum. And the one with Batum is plus 34.9 per hundred over 200, or excuse me, plus 34 per hundred over 219 minutes. And the Oubre one is plus 1.3 per hundred over 100 minutes. So, you know, like <laughs> as, as, as the founder of the Kelly Oubre theory, yeah. you know, I was I was getting a little shaky at the start of the season when Oubre was, you know, he was he good. Was, he, he, was he was a flamethrower. He was helping. Yeah. All all things even out in the end, XJ. You yeah. know, and then we 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 persevere here at Hot Hand Theory. <laughs> <laughs> you no, gotta wait I, for that regression to kick in. You always do. Honestly, you know, I, I sound like a bit of a jerk there, but I honestly there aren't many players in the league who I'm like actively rooting against. I definitely do not value my stupid takes over, you know, a player's well being or success. So if Kelly Oubre wants to go out and be awesome, I'm all for it. And I will I will happily cover Kelly Oubre playing awesome basketball. That was obviously a joke, Kelly Oubre. It's 100 minutes. I don't actually think that you're 34 points per 100 possessions worse than 38-year-old Nicholas Batum. Um, I, I thought you I thought you made a great point about the schedule. Um, I I think the Sixers have benefited from a pretty soft schedule, just you know, taking a quick glance at it. They've got a nice stretch coming up for them. They've got a three-game home stretch against Chicago, the Knicks, and Utah before going to Atlanta and then another three game stretch against Sacramento, Houston and Denver, that road stretch after that might be, you know, let's, let's, they, they come home from a a stretch where they play seven of eight games on the road on February 1st. Let's see where they're sitting at February 1st. I'm not saying they're not going to keep being great. Embiid's awesome. Um, You know, we covered him plenty earlier. I am a little skeptical of their depth though. I think that's where they're going to be hurt. They were, ill prepared to lose Harden. Like this was a very stars and scrubs type team. They don't, you know, I, I love DeAnthony Melton. He's really good, especially defensively. Great glue guy. I like Paul Reed as a backup. Covington is just one of those guys who always seems to fit fit in. But these are like, 
you know, you're you're cutting it a little close here if you're Philly. You're putting a lot of pressure on Maxi and Embiid to be amazing basketball players. Um, and forget, you know, if Maxi obviously if Maxi or Embiid gets hurt, you're just fucked. Like you're just they're just screwed. But like even if Harris, Melton, if one of those guys gets hurt, what do they do? They have no they have no path to any of that. So they're I, you know, I'm a big Maury guy, obviously. The nerd, the nerds stick together. But I he hasn't put them in the greatest spot, you know, because if you're this this dependent on your two best players to not only be stars, but to be healthy, um I don't know. That's that's a little bit scary for me. Yeah, they definitely need health. That that's they they absolutely do that you know, the success of that lineup is predicated on all of those guys being there like you mentioned um including even batum uh like i and we were banking on a nicholas batum i don't I actually don't know his age i don't have it in front of me we're banking on an older uh he's 35 a 35 year old nicholas batum to stay healthy i mean maxi's shown a lot of durability and then obviously Embiid, who you know anybody if anybody's superstar level player gets hurt like they're screwed that's true for everybody i do want to say like as a quick side note, there's two lineups in the NBA with over 150 possessions that have a 30 point better or a differential or better. And obviously, you know, one of them, we just said it was Philadelphia's Maxi, Melton, Harris, um, Batum and Embiid lineup. I know the other one. Too? The other lineup that I is, know the answer was the answer, sir. It's Brunson, Quickly, Hart, Randall and Hartenstein. Ding, 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 ding. That is correct. The only other lineup with over 150 possessions that can match the the dominance of that Philadelphia lineup with Maxi and Embiid on the court. Um, I don't. I don't like. I don't like what you're what you're uh, implying here, sir. Are you implying that <laughs> that's a good the lineup? <laughs> da- the, the data knows more, and that it's not too small. <laughs> I it's a it's a substantial sample size at this point in the season <laughs> um and I think that the data the data has some wisdom in it if we would only heed it uh maybe I guess we'll, I guess we'll never know you know <laughs> Kanye <laughs> Kanye mic drop <laughs> No we we will never know that is true um we will never know but yeah so I I I mean I agree with all of your points I think that to me the big thing is the schedule about the Sixers and I just want to see them play like some of these elite teams I, I mean like I said they beat OKC and they beat Minnesota but uh, they haven't beaten Boston this year they haven't beaten Milwaukee this year you know those are the teams that they're gonna have to get through so I just want to see them go against those teams and see how they they match up I think those would be really really tough series um, in a playoff series and even tough individual games but I just I also want to see you know how the maxi thing holds up against really good I I don't. I don't mean that derisively. I said the Maxi thing. That sounds derisive. I. I think Maxi's really, really good offensively. I think Maxi's great. I think you can't stay in front of that guy. It's kind of crazy like that. He has such a quickness and a burst, and I think that that is his gift. Is just the fact that you have to give him such a cushion because he's so fast and explosive that he's able to shoot. You know, thirty-eight percent from three, and and uh, and you know, which is his worst shooting season of his. Career. Well, no, I guess he shot worse in his rookie season, but. Um, for the last three years. So I just think, I think he's, I think he's legit offensively, but I do want to see when teams really lock in on him and he's the focal point with Embiid, what, what teams are able to do to stop them and how sustainable that is moving forward against a team that's as good defensively as a Boston, you know, and, and a team that's going to exploit him offensively, like, like Milwaukee will, because I don't know who's gonna, who he's supposed to guard on that team. So I, yeah, I just, I just want to say, that and this is more macro data than it is about the stuff you were talking about like oh how do they match up against milwaukee and boston i think that stuff we just don't have enough information to surmise on like i think i think we have to just wait and see how they look against those teams what those matchups look like before we hypothesize but i've never seen in a vacuum off-court data like this like i was just talking about their depth maxi and Embiid. Yeah. have the two worst off-court net ratings on the team. And the Sixers are plus 6.2 per 100 and plus 6.7 per 100 when they don't play. Like, that's the worst. That's the worst off-court Plus, number. 
six point two per one hundred when both Maxi and Embiid are off. No, the court? no, 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 no. I'm saying plus six point two per hundred when Embiid doesn't play, oh. plus six point seven per hundred when Maxi doesn't play. Yeah, yeah. I've yeah. never seen a team that just so consistently crushed. Is what I'm saying. Like that's yeah. what that data is representing. No matter who is on the court, the Sixers are just demolishing teams right now. I think and, the Sixers would demolish the the Hornets and the Pistons and all the teams that they played without either of those guys still at the same time. But, you know, I digress. Go ahead. Pursue. Yeah, that, no, that's, that's fair. Again, this is why it's more about how dominant they've been in the macro than how they'll do against the top of the league. But I just wanted to point that out because I was giving their depth a little bit of a hard time. And, you know, say what you want about the flaws of their depth, but they've absolutely torched anybody they've played so far this season. And I'm a believer. I don't know if you are, XJ. But I'm a believer that on some level that what you do against bad teams does correlate with how successful you'll be against really good teams. Like, I know that there's a human element to this and it's not perfectly linear, but I do believe that, you know, if you're crushing the middle to bottom percent of the league and crushing them way more than other teams, obviously there are specific examples where this won't be true. But over the long run, those teams are more likely to be successful. I think that's true in general. I'm not sure how true that is this year. And why I think this year may be an outlier is because the worst teams are so bad. They're so bad. Like, I I, I generally agree with that because I think normally the worst teams are, like, not good. But the worst NBA team is typically, like, they're not going to go down without a fight. So if you're just saying, listen, we have more talent than you. Like, we know you're going to scrap and claw for every victory we're still going to crush you to me that typically indicates like that team's really good, but the worst teams we're talking about the Pistons. We're talking about the Hornets. We're talking about the Spurs. We're talking about the Washington wizards. These are really bad teams, like, like dreadfully bad teams. And I think that the Knicks have beat up on those teams as well. I just think that any team, if they're even like pretty good, they should pummel those squads. And I think that that's what we see. And I mentioned the wizards. We want to talk about the wizards to kind of wrap up the pod. Like I said, super bad team. They've been bad lately. They've been bad all season. (laughs) I don't know if we've seen any signs of life from Washington. Six and 26, bottom five offense, worst defense in the NBA, worst defense in the NBA that um, in a league that includes the Hornets and the Pistons. By EPM, they only have one plus EPM player, and that's Daniel Gafford. Everybody else is zero or negative. Jordan Poole has been one of the worst players and one of the worst contracts in the entire league. Uh, that, you know, someone that you have talked about ad nauseum, Jeff, as far as your lack of belief, let's say, in the player that Jordan Poole is and his, his impact on either end of the court. Um, I didn't expect him to forget how to shoot completely. Like, looking at his data, if he's anything less than wide open, he literally turns into one of the worst perimeter player shooters in the entire NBA. Like, just either if he's wide open he's like okay and if he's not wide open he's horrible so yeah this is what this is like my point this is the point that i would bring up to kind of counter what you were saying like yes the sex the sixers have beat up really bad teams but i'm not sure how much it means in this nba when you're talking about teams like the wizards (laughs) i i think i think it'd be tough to lose against the wizards if you have any level of competency or talent on your team so what are your thoughts on, on washington um, my first thought is that you have not let me slide once in 10 episodes. All right. Isn't this the 11th episode? This is number 11. Yeah. Don't worry. It'll, uh, it'll, it'll, it'll say, right. Like we're recording. It says 10, but I'll fix it after and, and post okay. as they say. Um, <laughs> wow. The, in case anyone wants to look behind the curtain as to how worthless I am with the technological side of all this, there it is. There, there it is. I didn't even know that he edits this post. I'm that useless. And XJ has put up with me for two and a half months almost. So if you want to know, how I'm, I'm more useless on the social media side. That's all that's, right. That's um, right. We balance each other out. Come on. But in, in, in all this time in now 11 episodes, you haven't let me slide once. So I have to point out that you did just refer to the Sixers as the sexers, which is... That's, God, you stuff. caught that? Uh, of course I did. Um, like you, you think I don't hey, listen. I don't listen, know. at least I'm not going to deny it. That's the thing. Yeah. I own up to it on the spot. I'm not going to make you in post put in like the time when I said it and slow it down in order, and then still contest it afterwards. I'm just going to say, I, I called the sexers. I didn't say and that's okay. Wemby the Yama man. I did not say that. I know I didn't. I said Wemby... 
it's like I so uh, all right. God, how did this turn back around? I'm shitting on me. That's bull. That's bullshit. Um, all right. Back to serious topics. What if I the were to Wizards. tell you, XJ, the Wizards, the most serious team in the NBA? What if I were to tell you, XJ, that our friends and I use friends very lightly here. It's guys we would like to be friends with who have no idea that we exist. What if I told you that our friends over at Thinking Basketball had a 25 under 25 draft pod about a week ago? Yeah, it'll be a week ago when this comes out. And a Washington Wizard was selected. A Wizard was on this 25 under 25? It's, he was. I, mean, I know I know who it is. I know it has there's only one player it could be. Yeah. And he's been kind of awesome. <laughs> like considering he's on the Wizards. Like yeah. He, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, for those who don't know, I'm talking about Denny Obdia. Um he's been good on both ends. He's in the 70th percentile of offensive VPM, 64th percentile of defensive VPM. True shooting percentage is around league average, but it's by far a career high for him. Mm-hmm. Um, 51, 51.7 is rookie year, 53.5 is second and third year. Nice consistency there, Danny. This year it's up to 58.1%. Huge leap. And guess what? Actually, will be happy. It's not because of ridiculously hot shooting beyond the three-point line. Yep. He's literally gotten better at the rim. Um, he's shooting smarter shots. Like His, his shot mapping has been better. He's being assisted. Uh, wow, he's actually being assisted less. That's interesting. Being so that means he's getting to the rim more out of self creation. He's, he's he's being assisted more from the mid range, um, which means I guess that they're running like fun curl plays, and he's a part of pick and rolls and stuff. I'll have to dig into more film. The point being that he's improved a lot across the board, um, and if you just look at his player profile overall. You know, he's a tall playmaker who has good court vision. He profiles as someone who should be good on both ends of the court if he can figure out the shot. So as lost as the Wizards seem, and believe me, they're one of the most lost teams in the league, I think that between him and Koulibaly, who has not been good at all this season from an impact standpoint, I think you just have two guys you just want to throw out there, hope they find chemistry, Maybe play them with Kispert a lot because Kispert, for all of his shortcomings, can shoot the ball. If they keep Tyus Jones, let Tyus Jones run the show. If they keep Gafford, let Gafford be the center because Gafford's the only guy positively impacting basketball. Look, if they didn't have Jordan Poole or Kyle Kuzma and they could just run Jones, Kispert, uh, Avdia, Koulibaly, and Gafford, that team wouldn't win. But if I was a Wizards fan, I would be like, Let's fucking go. Like I'm I'm down to watch that five man unit all the time and see what happens. Yeah, I mean, you did an amazing feat by making the Wizards sound like interesting and like there's a way that they could have a <laughs> they could roll out a squad that fans would find interesting and in watching. And I think that's I think it's a valid valid argument. I I I imagine Denny Avdia was twenty fifth on this list though. Was that correct or no, I think he was like 21st and guess what even better and here's something that's even not better sorry it makes me sound like a homer not a knicks fan i promise um <laughs> tyler hero wasn't drafted wow so it was interesting to be, to, to be to be clear this was draft of guys you would want on a playoff team so they they basically were sorting between are you good enough to be a top tier initiator and if you're not, are you good? How how can you fit in next to one? Like they were they yeah. were they were they were placing these guys on assumed playoff teams. So like yeah yeah, and this is right now, right? This is not based on potential. This is based on correct. What they are not at this not based okay. on potential. Yeah, because yeah, okay. Wemby went Wemby went like 16th. Okay, fair makes sense. Yeah, I, I like Danny Abdi. I think he's he is the. You know how we always talk about how Zach Lowe is called like RJ the Jack of all trades, <laughs> which is the most hilarious description for RJ. Which is, <laughs> I don't know if you, I don't know if you saw this, but Lowe just like completely destroyed RJ today. So it's Did like, he? come on, I come on, it. dude. Like, I mean, I guess, I guess, as you know, if you're a Knicks fan, appreciate Zach Lowe like 
kind of holding back until he gets traded to Toronto. But yeah, he, said, <laughs> he basically said um, one angle of the trade that we didn't we didn't cover, which I'm surprised by because I literally right before we hopped on, I listened to Low. Um, he basically said that like a lot of front offices referred to RJ as a toxic asset, and that the way to get OG was to attach quickly, like the that mm-hmm. no other front offices viewed RJ as even close to a neutral asset. And so yeah. it wasn't even for the Knicks as like quickly versus OG. It was like, you're starting at a negative point because you're including RJ and to get yeah. to OG, you had to include quickly. Yeah. And I, I, that's interesting. I didn't hear the low episode, but I, I assumed as much that that was my working assumption was that RJ was seen as a negative asset and the way that they were able to get OG was to include quickly. And it would have been like quickly or like three first or something like that. But that just meant to me, like, that's how much the Raptors valued Emmanuel quickly. They made, they valued him worth like three first round picks or something like that and willing to take on a negative asset to get him. Um, so I, I, I viewed it that way. I mean, it, make, it makes sense. And that's why, again, the, the value exchange quickly for OG, I think is like 90 cents on the dollar relative to like what quickly upside is. We talked earlier about this and I, I don't want to get away from your point because you were talking about Denny and Jack of all trades. So don't lose that thought. I just want to, I want to get one comment that's in my head about this while we're talking about it. I think it's a mistake that people were, um extrapolating what rj has done in new york and basically creating a vacuum out of it like it ignores it ignores context it ignores nuance it ignores fit i'm not saying that i guarantee rj is going to be good in toronto i'm i'm just not going to do that there's too much evidence of what's happened in new york but it is going to be a completely different paradigm even though right now early on the spacing is not good like i don't know if you said did you watch the blazers raptors game last night yeah, I watched the whole thing. Did you did you laugh at like Siakam all of a sudden hitting threes and shit like that? And like, dude, what Siakam turned <laughs> into like prime Carl Anthony Towns? Like, what was I watching? That was insane. Or also, just like, the, no, I was just saying no, you, like, you you called it the Blazers versus the Raptors. So I just wanted to. Oh yeah, Cavs versus the Raptors. My bad. It was a Cavs. Um, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Siakam turned into like All Star Siakam. He, he just remembered that he knows how to shoot unbelievable yeah because we we talked a a little bit and i was like well the spacing is gonna be horrible on this team this is like a pistons level spacing that they have they're running out there with rj being the two and siakam being the four and yaka being the five like your best shooter is you know aside from quickly is scotty barnes like that's right yeah that 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 seems great but the best shooter was pascal siakam so (laughs) You're betting that Barnes's shooting is for real, by the way. If Barnes shooting just reverts to what it's been, then two that's an five, untenable that's, lineup. Two through five, that's the worst shooting team in NBA history. Like including yeah. like the seventies. <laughs> yeah, that's like an untenable I, I mean, starting lineup. Yeah. You have to yeah. that has to be real by Scotty Barnes. He's shooting like thirty nine percent or something. That has to be real, like if you're running that out there. But I was surprised they, even, they they started RJ instead of Gary Trent Jr. I I'm not sure I agree, um, but we don't we don't want to talk about that right now. We'll talk about it next episode when there's more of a sample size. We'll see because you always end up being right more than I do. So you can we can look back at this next week and you can just laugh at me. Um, I, I'm surprised that they didn't run more Siakam at the five or like Siakam Boucher. I, I mean, dude, they oh my god, they were running Boucher Siakam Pearl lineups to close last night. Like I'm pretty sure they're tanking and quickly and yeah. RJ just yeah and quickly and RJ quick quickly and rj just don't know it yet like they, like that everybody in the organization just hates them for dragging them to a victory it's like, dude, we just lost the distance come on stop it That's um awesome. but but back to my original point i i just i find it strange i found it strange hearing low talk about this and it seems that a ton of people were like basically saying that what rj did in new york reflects his true value for any team across the league and to me that's misguided um and not i don't want to say fair because who cares about being fair or unfair but well but I he doesn't like fit where does he fit where does his archetype fit like i think it's probably true because 
He's like an on-ball guard. He plays like an on-ball guard to me. Like he penetrates, he gets to the rim when he has the ball in his hands. And if you force him to, you can tell him to, to spray out to shooters. Like that is his game. He is not like a off-ball wing that cuts and gets to the basket and, and can finish really well inside and, and spots up and hits threes. Like he plays like a guard. Like I, he's just like a big guard on offense. So uh, where does he, where does that archetype fit? Nobody's going to put the ball in his hands and give him the keys. You know, like what... What is what else does well, he do? I, I think Toronto is going to if, if last night's any indication. I actually thought that Toronto did an amazing job for it being the first game in the quickly Barnes RJ Siaka minutes of like finding balance. That was so impressive to me. It didn't feel to me, if anything, it felt to me like Barnes got the shortest end of the stick. Barnes, like yeah, he, I was gonna say the same thing. He yeah. he was the fourth option, but Barnes is like a connector and elite defender. And if he's willing to sort of take a back seat to try to accommodate these new teammates, which it seemed like he was, I don't know. I thought the offense flowed really well for their first game together. Yeah, no, I agree with you totally. I, I, I think there's a lot more to talk about there, but we'll have to save it for the next episode. Um, we blew past our hard stop and uh, I got to run, but this was a, a great conversation. And that concludes Wizards talk, which ended up Wait, being... <laughs> tell us about Denny Appia being a jack of all trades. Give us nah, two minutes on Denny. Yeah, there you go. That's that, that's the that's the, that's all I was going to say about Denny Appia was that Zach Lowe uh, should be giving him that moniker as opposed to RJ Barrett. Um, and it clearly he's going to probably stop giving RJ Barrett that moniker. So uh, all, all's well that ends well. Uh, yeah, that this was a good conversation as always. Thank you all for joining us, for tuning in, for listening to the end. Um, there's no money being doled out on this episode, unfortunately, but tune in next time. Who knows the next time we have a code word that is, that is shared. <laughs> oh, actually we have to announce our winner. Oh yeah, please do. Please do. You know, the winner. It was Alex, right? I thought it was Alex, but I don't want to make sure I don't say any names and we weren't on the same page. Yeah. We're Alex. blowing it right now. So, sorry. Sorry. Sorry about that, Alex. And I'm calling you Alex, even though we've never interacted because XJ refers to you as Alex. I totally forget what your Twitter name is. So I'm just going to say his Twitter name is Ultirad. U-L-T-I-R-A-D. Uh, Ultirad. Uh, his okay. name is Alex. He's a KFS patron or has been in the past. Um, super cool person and listens to a ton of our stuff. We really appreciate his support. And he told me that we, he and I have pr pretty much unanimous consensus, same opinion. So that means he's a pretty smart guy. That's all I'll say. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's one way. That's one way of looking at it. That's, that's a perspective. <laughs> um, uh, Ulti rad DM me or uh, XJ your Venmo and I will send you your reward. And thank you. Thank you a lot for listening and for interacting. Actually, I said it last episode, but we're dedicated to engaging with anybody who wants to talk basketball with us. We love the sport. We love the NBA. Um, and so, yeah, we appreciate any anyone and everyone who uh, engages and interacts with us. Absolutely. Well said, well heard, all the words, all the buzzwords that we throw around here at High Hand Theory. Regression, um, EPM, you know, all the words Spread, um, spreadsheet spreadsheet you know no seriously thank you all so much please drop a like or subscribe if you're new here it'd be awesome and we'll see you next episode this has been hot hand theory